Hello, and welcome to the podcast M&A Stories, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I'm Robert Heaton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Toby Tester. In these podcasts, Toby and I share our experiences on various projects that we've both been involved in over the course of our careers, talking about things that have gone well, things that didn't go too well, and things that just completely failed. The purpose of this is that we're hoping that our listeners will learn some valuable lessons from those experiences and that those lessons can be taken forward into your M&A projects. We hope you enjoy listening. So let's get this podcast underway. Hey, good morning, Toby. How are you? Hey, good, good Robert. Fabulous. I mean, it's a bit wild and windy up here in uh, Sydney. So we've had a fair bit of rain, of course. Yeah, I've noticed that. Well, I can't say that for, for Melbourne. It's actually bright sunshine and clear skies this morning. Right. But of course, we're, uh, we're in lockdown still, so we can't travel any more than five kilometres radius from home. Right. And, uh, there's a curfew at eight o'clock at night, so um, <laughs> we're dealing with that. The good news is, of course, and uh, we shall see, but the early indications are that the COVID-19 cases are coming down. Yeah. So that lockdown process seems to be having effect. So anyway. Good. But as Donald Trump has been saying just recently, it is what it is. Um, <laughs> That's one way of putting it. I don't know if you saw the news. He recently visited a manufacturing plant in the US oh, yeah. and uh, talk about it, a cock-up. All the factory were required to be there to meet him, of course. Yeah. And as he walked in, his team decided to play Live and Let Die. Is that some sort of joke? <laughs> no, God knows. Maybe it's a... Bloody stupid. But anyway, <laughs> uh, thank goodness we're in Australia. One of the things I was just reading your outline of today's story, and it took me back because what you're going to do is you're going to go back to your very first M&A, yeah. a, a divestiture. Uh, and you've made a very good point here that a divestiture can be a highly effective way of raising capital once the pandemic's over. And what, I think what you're going to do is reflect on some of the mistakes that you made all those 15 years ago, which over time, as you've done more and more and more of these, of course, you become more more expert in these things. And you're sort of reflecting back and offering advice to people that might be approaching a dev, divestiture for the first time. Indeed, indeed. You know, it's funny, really, because I think we're all very familiar with the whole acquisition exercise the whole process and organizations do it repeatedly and you know getting pretty quick quite good at it you know good processes they've got it all worked out how they do that but divestiture is not something that people organizations do that all that often i think it's getting increasingly common and obviously with this pandemic we're having i think that it will be a a, a very important tool for organizations so that they can go ahead and raise capital i'm sure it will be and one of the mistakes a lot of companies make is that they think divestiture is just an acquisition in reverse, and it clearly isn't. No, it's not. Um, it's, not it's not quite like that. It's a, it's a nice. It's a nice thought, but it isn't quite like that. Now, the other the other thing I've got to say is yeah. you made me smile because I saw that you couldn't resist putting your buried treasure into this story. Indeed, so. whenever I talk about carving out a business, separating it out, and selling it. 
there's this uh, notion of uh, buried treasure. Now, I've mentioned this a few times in previous podcasts and articles I've written, but it really comes down from the uh, perspective that the vestiges isn't a case of just offloading an asset, getting rid of the asset, getting it sort of like you know, having a fire sale and getting rid of fast as possible. It really is a value-creating exercise, just like acquisitions. And so it is a perspective, it's an approach, and there's a method behind it too, whereby what you're doing is you are maximizing the value of that asset so that yep. when you get to sell it, you're selling it at a premium that is more than what you'd estimate it. And also for the buyer, they get something that they can go ahead and bring that on board and effectively exploit those assets in a way yep. that the seller couldn't. And it's, it's simply an approach. And I do refer to it as buried treasure. What I've, what I've just done while you were talking there, I've yeah. just twiddled the time dial back and we're now back 15 years ago. Okay. And why don't you uh, just give us an intro to this and okay. I'll shut up and uh, right. let's tell the story. Right, turn back time, 15 years ago. So it was around 2005, in actual fact, that I actually got to work on my first divestor. Prior to that time, I had worked on a number of acquisitions by that time, and perhaps like what you alluded to, you think it's a bit like an acquisition reverse. Well, it isn't quite like that. So it was 15 years ago. The board decided that they had a, a part of their business. In actual fact, it's half the entire organization. So this was big, well over a thousand staff, and wanted to set it all up, get you know, carve the business out and get it for sale. And it was a great opportunity because I personally got to see it right from the beginning to the very, very end. In other words, from the board decision that they're going to sell all the way through to the completion of transitional services. So it was an experience where I learned heaps. So much so, this is this is kind of a bit unusual, I'm not sure, but I even got to do a post-mortem, a post-implementation review. And I was talking to the chief financial officer, so I says, Toby, you know, you know, it's all been done. This is a great experience. We've never done a divestor before. Why don't we document the learnings from this so that when we come to do another divestiture, which I'm sure we will, let's use this as a term to reference so and guide us on the key lessons so that we take those lessons onto the next divestiture. That is a great idea. That it is. I, I, I just sort of thought about that, and I thought it's a pity that that isn't done more often. I think, look, it's done in project management, broadly speaking, that you try and do a personal implementation review. When it comes to M&A, I think it's a little bit less, it's not as yeah. common. I think it's just the cut and thrust of the way M&A works. You know, you often don't have time. You, you're going from one deal to the next deal. There's not an opportunity to really just step back and think about what you did and how you could do it better. But this, this occasion, I did. In actual fact, I actually got the report and he got it in front of me. It's actually about 50 pages. So I was quite impressed. So I thought, whoa, whoa, 50 pages long. And then there was a survey. I you know, got to interview a few people and got effectively a, about 14 major lessons from this wow. uh, divestiture. I should say, first of all, the divestiture itself went quite well. It achieved the outcomes. The business was sold to a private equity company and uh, broadly speaking it was a success having said that though there are lessons you know mistakes were made and i'll say quite personally there are mistakes i made during this exercise and this is really what i want to go through the actual lessons learned 
Okay, I think that's a great idea. And 14 lessons. Well, you know, let's see if we can get through them. Well, I'm not going to do 14 lessons. Ah, oh. <laughs> I'm going to boil it down to three. Right. Okay. We're going to get lost in the weeds. And I thought, let's just let's just go up a bit and just boil it down to the three major takeaways. Okay. Three major takeaways, and I think you fundamentally got to get right for a successful divestiture. Right. So what's number one? Number one is governance. Surprise, surprise. Get the governance right. Now, I'll explain what I mean by that, is that when I was brought on board, my immediate focus, and this is the focus from the board, to say, Toby, look, we need to get the legal, financial, and operational concerns addressed. And so my focus and the governance around it was very much around separation, carving the business out so it could run as a separate entity. Yes, yep. So that's what I was looking at. I did not look at the sale in itself, the sale process. In other words, what the deal strategy is, the deal approach, setting up the data room, negotiations, and all that sort of thing. So that was sort of like running to one side. And was it part of the governance process that, that I'd set up? And at first, that was okay because there wasn't much crossover. And also that the carve-out was happening well ahead of the actual sale process itself. It nonetheless had an impact further downstream. Is I found myself doing things that are impacting the carve-out and they weren't part of the exercise. And uh -huh. And so it, it then became a sort of like a dependency thing. But more importantly than that, all the needs and the interests of the people are, who are impacted by the divestiture were being, weren't being addressed through the governments because I was just purely focused on the legal, the financial, and the operational concerns. Yeah. And so about uh, nearly about halfway through this in, uh, entire exercise, I thought, okay, let's just stop. Let's just change the governance. Let's go ahead and broaden it to include the deal management team, but also the parent company, because they had their impact as well, because you've got to look at the retained business and the impacts associated with the sale. So what I did is I broadened the governance structure and then went on from there. And that, that worked fine. The big lesson is from here is that I could have done all that up front. In other words, set the governance up right up front. So there's an expectation that the retained business will need to play a part, but also the deal management team needs to be involved in the governance and the whole governance process. And that could have been done up front. But what I did in actual in this case, it was actually addressed halfway through. But better halfway through than not at all. Uh, better halfway through than not at all. But my message is to the people who are thinking of carving a business out, make sure you address all the impacts associated with the carving out, sale and separation of business. Think about not only the operational, legal, and financial aspects, also think about the retained business and the impacts they have. Yeah. You'll have standard operational issues, you'll have standard, standard financial issues, yeah, and financial, legal issues. And so that all needs to be addressed. Yeah, and it just occurred to me there's all the other things as well, like the technology and the culture and so on. They're all going to impact back on the, the business that's left yes. behind. Yes, yeah, so, indeed. Yeah, indeed. So get the governance right. So have a good think about the way the governance is going to work and look further down the track as to how it involves so that you can set it up and set the expectations that you know that at certain points in time, people will be coming in and you've got a seat at the table ready for them 
when the time comes that they can sit at this table and that we can discuss the, the progress of the carve-out at sale and separation. Excellent. So that was one, get the governance right. Okay, number now, two. Number two. Now, this one actually sort of ties on to the next one, and that is get the scope right. Sorry for laughing. <laughs> Go on, Toby, please tell. Well, maybe, maybe I'll ask you, why do you find that funny? <laughs> is it a surprise? Uh, no, it's not a surprise. It's just that uh, so many times you find that the scope hasn't been defined well enough, and then you get scope creep, and you get yeah. various things that come up to bite you. Yeah. And it's always a great exercise to sort of long, you know, just as you start a project, make sure that you've covered everything in the scope. Anyway, I should, should not steal your thunder. Okay. Well, the scope originally was around the legal, financial, and operation uh, carve out of the business. And that was my focus, pretty much along the last same lines as governance. And so that was going well because I felt and the scope was being well managed. The problem is, is that the sale of the business itself, because at first there was the decision that, well, maybe we'll spin this business out and float it on the stock exchange. Another thought was, well, maybe we could be better off if we sell the business to, say, a corporate or a strategic buyer. Or maybe we can actually sell it to a private equity firm, and they'd be the most interested party. But each one of those scenarios has a fundamental impact back on scope. Because mm -hmm. it really depends on how you spin this business, what this business looks like, depending on whether you're going to do an IPO, you're selling it to a strategic buyer, or you're selling it to a private equity buyer. So these had big impacts, and it wasn't part of my scope. What it highlighted, again, is that the sale part of it was absolutely critical. And the, the big issue here is that whilst the legal and financial and operational side was being tightly managed with good management disciplines, the sale process was just all over the shop. In other words, it was doing this, moving around this, it's very fluid, people talking, decisions being made on the fly, visibility, you know, I find out, oh, we're not going to do an IPO after all. We've got to go and see if we can get a private equity buyer who'd be interested. Well, that has a big impact to me on a scope side. So, again, this, this got rectified halfway through. In other words, I expanded the scope of the entire exercise to include the sale process and also the, um, the work that's been done in the retained business. So, my message to anybody listening to this is that think hard about scope. Remember, it's not just carving out the business. Think about scope is also including the sale process and how that sale process will work, what that deal management approach is going to be, but also on the retained business as well. And so make sure that the scope includes all of that. Indeed, I'll just go a bit further and say that look, anything that's impacted by the sales operation, you should be included by this part of the scope. But at the same time, don't let others throw things into the scope that's not directly related to the sale and separation of the business. So yep. don't think of it as a kind of like, oh, well, look, maybe we can do this. Maybe we can do a bit of a technology upgrade or something up there. Hang on a sec. Is this connected to the sale and separation of business? Yes or no? Directly. Because yeah. if it's not, then you've got to be careful that you don't start putting more and more into the scope and then it becomes something that becomes unmanageable. Uh, exactly. And, and it's a real point that you've hit on there, Toby, because yeah. companies do look at 
like a divestiture or uh, an acquisition and they sort of, oh, hang on a minute, we were going to do a, a quality assurance improvement project. Let's yeah. add that into the process. Oh, we were going to, you know, upgrade our cyber security systems. Let's add that into the, and the scope creep just gets wider and wider and wider and you actually need to be very focused. So, you did, you did. yeah, no, very, very good point. Okay. Well, that's, so I've done two. So get the governance right, get the scope right. Yep. And there's one more, and that is make sure staff care is right. Uh -huh. Do right by the people. Now, as part of this exercise, I realized that you change management, organizational change is, is a major factor. And I did actually have a person who was leading that stream of work. But I did see people getting confused, anxious, and a bit fearful either because the, job lot, uh, either because the job cuts or the additional work or potential sort of loss of stature or, you know, threat of new bosses. There's a variety of risks and issues here. And I did see that staff were becoming more resistant, you know, drop of morale and that certain yep. fun factor, that sort of fear, uncertainty and doubt. Yep. And the person I had who was running the communication, change of communication, in fact, there's a person from the HR division who was running it. And in a sense, when I reflect on it, I think that person was probably a little bit too junior for the exercise. And I needed a senior person who had a lot of good experience up front to manage the organizational changes, the, the cultural changes, but also giving proper recognition to a lot of people who are working long hours and making sure that they were recognized um, for the work they were doing and i'm not too sure if people were getting that sort of recognition they should have been getting i mean the, the, uh, this is for another podcast clearly at some point in yeah. time but that that's back to the leadership issue again isn't it it is very much so it is look and, and in a sense that it's a reflection on myself as well because obviously i was the separation manager and i was leading this exercise but i didn't have a lieutenant i could work with who could help me manage this side more effectively. Yeah. Now, again, I did actually get a, a senior person uh, to manage this, and that improved things a lot and give it the kind of focus it really needed. And if I was doing this exact investor again, I would have got a, a far more senior person running this sort of thing, but also give it a lot more focus than what I personally did 15 years ago. Great story. Toby, and I, I'll echo, you know, everything you've said there, spot on. What's your final message on this one? It's very simple. You know, as I said, did a post-mortem on, on a divestiture 15 years ago, a 50-page report, 14 major lessons, but I'll bring them down just to three things, three things you, you've got to get right. Get the governance right. Work that out. Think hard about what it is. Get the governance right up front. Yep. Get the scope right. Make sure that you're clear on the scope of what you're going to do and what you're not going to do as part of the carve-out, sale, and separation of business. Don't change it halfway through. You should be able to work this out right up front. And then third thing is do right by the people. People are so important that they're the ones who are actually doing this work. So make sure they're properly taken care of. Give them the respect and dignity that they deserve, and you'll have strong champions who work with you through this whole divestiture journey. Brilliant, Toby. I think the, the one thing that's just occurred to me as we've been going through this is the timing of this podcast is ideal 
because I think di divestiture is going to be something that we'll see an increase in as we come out of the COVID-19 scenario. And there's plenty of lessons there that people can uh, take away from your conversation and from your experience of 15 years ago. So I, I think that's a wrap. I think I could say that uh, it's yet another great story. And yeah. uh, we are going to be back with a guest speaker next week. So until then, I will say it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me as well. Thanks, Tony.